Hello everyone. Um, please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through to 5, verse 2. I'm beginning in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is God's word. Anger theft and destructive talk. Do those ring any bells with you? Have you come across any of those things in Zimbabwe in the last six months? I'm sure you have because Zimbabwe is replete with anger, theft and destructive talk. And as it happens, all three of these things are mentioned in today's passage. But before we get to them, let's just chart the course that we followed in the last week or two. The last time I talked about the Batman effect, namely that having some sort of imaginary alternative ego can empower people to become better versions of themselves. And we, we talked about the fact that psychological research has recently proposed this and confirmed it, the Batman effect, and yet the Bible has known about it for millennia. And so that's why Paul wrote um, at the end of today's passage, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice for God. We're not looking for an imaginary alter ego. We're thinking of Jesus as our alternative ego, the one that we want to become like. And so Paul was commanding the Ephesians to see Christ as their alter ego and urging them to act in every situation as Jesus would in order to become better Christ-like versions of themselves. And we asked ourselves to imagine what 2021 could be like, how it could be different to 2020 if we were to become better imitators of God and walk in love as Christ did. And so we asked two questions. How can we think and act as Jesus did in 2021? And how can we be imitators of God and walk in love as Christ loved us? And the way that we unpacked this was by exploring the source, the substance, and the practicalities of walking in love as Christ did. Now, we made a start on the practicalities by talking about the first replacement, which was replacing lies with the truth. And today we're going to go into some more detail in three other, into three other replacements. But before we do that, before we get practical, please do not forget 
the underpinning principles of the source and the substance. This is what makes the practicalities possible. Otherwise, you'll be trying to follow a list of do's and don'ts, and you won't have the power or the wisdom to do it. So I'm just going to recap very briefly on the source and the substance. A lot of the time, we mentioned last time, is that our biggest problem is not knowing what Christ would do, but actually how he would do it. When we ask that question, what would Jesus do? So, for example, I might know that I need to lovingly discipline my children, but I need wisdom to do that. How am I going to do it in a way that's appropriate to my two different children? What is it actually going to look like? You may know that you have to um, have a value of honesty and integrity in your business dealings, but what will that actually look like? And so... That's one of the issues, an issue of wisdom. Another one is that we usually lack the strength or the ability or the will to actually do the right thing, what Jesus would have done. And this is where the source comes in. So once we've been born of God, we, we carry his likeness. We, we go through this fundamental conversion which changes us so that we are born of God and we now carry his family likeness. We now in a sense have his genetic makeup and that gives us the power and the ability to do what Jesus would have done. And then there's the wisdom issue where we can find out how to do what Jesus would have done because he now becomes our teacher seated in our heart right at the center of our being. And then we can also act from the, the right motives because we know that we're loved. We're not acting in such a way as to try and fill some need for love and value because we know that we are beloved children. So since your source is your father and your teacher and your lover, this Batman effect, which maybe we should call something different, <laughs> really can work for you as a Christian. So that's the first foundational principle. And we mustn't lose sight of it as we get practical. And so in each of these examples, I'm going to be referring back to that source and how it connects with the example. Then the second one has to do with the substance of walking in love as Christ did. Paul has chosen four examples here, and they are by no means exhaustive. Obviously they aren't because they couldn't cover all the different ways. So what he's doing with choosing these examples is he's showing us how the source and the substance work in these examples so that we can see practically how it outworks and that will teach us how to transfer those principles of the source and the substance to other examples and situations in our lives. So what is the substance? Here it is, that walking in love as Christ did always, always has to do with sacrificing the desires and the passions of the flesh, ungodly passions and desires. So in every situation, we need to do a little bit of introspection and see, well, what is it that's motivating me here? Is it an ungodly passion or desire? Because if it is, it needs to be sacrificed, just as Christ sacrificed himself and gave himself up for us. We need to do the same thing for him. So, Having recapped, now we can move on to these three practicalities of walking in love as Christ did. Number one, replacing anger with forgiveness. Look at verse 26 and 27. There's three things here. First of all, be angry and do not sin. 
Most commentators assume that Paul takes it as a given that Christians will get angry from time to time. After all, Jesus got angry, and it isn't necessarily a sin to get angry because an anger, anger is an emotion. Um, in other words, it's neutral. In fact, anger has been designed a bit like a flashing dashboard indicator that says something needs to be paid attention to here because if you don't, and you don't pay attention to what it's telling you, you could end up being led into sin. And so it's not the anger that is sinful. It's the way we deal with the anger that can lead us to sin. So that's first one. Be angry and do not sin. The second one, and this starts to talk about how we deal with the anger now, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Think of this. When the sun goes down on a particular day, that day is over. It is left in an inalterable state. If you let the sun go down on your anger, therefore, you have decided to leave your anger undealt with and in an unchangeable state. You have chosen, if you like, a settled state of anger. And notice that I say you've chosen. That's because we can choose whether we're going to stay in an angry state or not. Paul says, do not let. He wouldn't have said, do not let, if we didn't have a choice to refuse to be settled in our anger. And of course, now that you have the source, the father, the teacher, the one who loves us, you have the power to control your anger. Never tell yourself the, the lie that you cannot control your anger. But if you choose a permanent state of anger, this takes us to the third thing, you're going to give the devil an opportunity. He, Paul writes, give no opportunity to the devil. In other words, don't give the devil a foothold in your life. This word that he uses here for opportunity is literally a place or a location. In other words, don't allow Satan space, a place or a location in your life, in, in the rooms of your life. Jesus tells us that Satan is a liar, he is a thief, and he's a murderer. Would you allow any of those kinds of people a room in your house? By no means. You would never do that. I did a bit of research into the meaning of the word anger used here in Vine's expository dictionary. And let me quote from there. He says that it refers to a settled or abiding condition of the mind. And this is important frequently with a view to taking revenge. It usually carries the implication that the state of anger took a long time to develop. And so you can see why we need to deal with our anger straight away. Don't let the sun go down on it before that emotion develops into a condition of the mind that starts to dominate your life day after day. Now, how can one settle into a permanent state of anger because we need to know how to deal with that. Look at verse 31. It starts, let all bitterness. Can you see where a settled state of anger begins? It begins with bitterness. What is bitterness? Well, bitterness is the opposite of forgiveness. If you refuse to forgive, then you're going to settle into an angry state which leads to, have a look at verse 31, first of all, wrath. What is wrath? It's a desire to punish. It can lead to clamor. That's the next thing. 
that word refers in the Greek to verbal brawling. <laughs> in other words, having a shouting match. That's what anger does. But it doesn't end there because unresolved anger can leading us, can, I beg your pardon, can lead us to act on our desire to punish someone else for the injustice that they've done us. There's no doubt that people often do us an injustice and they, that justice should be done. But God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We are not to take revenge. And so when we do want to take revenge, when we settle into the state of anger, look at verse 31. What do we start doing? Slander, seeking to hurt somebody verbally or malice, seeking to hurt someone in some way physically. Let's relate this back to the source and the substance of walking in love as Christ did. The substance of walking in love as Christ did is to sacrifice ungodly desires. What is the ungodly desire that's in view here? It's revenge, isn't it? That's what we need to crucify, that desire to take justice into our own hands. Let's rather say, yes, justice does need to be done, but let's trust God to do it and only handle things in the right godly way. The source, the fact that we have a father and a teacher and a lover means that you have the very real potential to act in the way that Christ did. What does this look like in the case of anger? Look at verse 32, the next verse. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. God chose not to treat you as your sins deserve. And in the same way, we need to extend grace to others. Let's leave the punishment, let's leave the vengeance, let's leave the justice to God. Our part is to play the part of the forgiver. So that's the first replacement. Replace anger with forgiveness. Let's move on now to the topic of theft, which is the second replacement for today. Paul says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The essence of theft is taking the easy route. It's the path of least resistance. It's cutting corners. And we do it because it's easier than working. Laboring with our hands is how Paul puts it. And you know, some business practices take the easy route to gain without linking that gain to genuine productivity and value. And I'm sure that you can think of, of a few because there are so many of them in Zimbabwe today. So many people are profiteering, taking shortcuts, trying to get the easy way to profits without linking it to genuine value and service. And I remember that the substance of walking in love as Christ did is to crucify ungodly passions. Well, what is the ungodly passion here? It's greed, isn't it? It's laziness. It's love of money. That's what we need to crucify. That's the substance of it. What does Paul say here? And I think this is very, very significant. He says, rather than focusing on what you can get away with, think about what you can give away. Productivity, your productivity should be motivated by generosity so that he may have something to share with anybody in need. The crook needs to become a donor, and we all have an element of crookedness in us. 
what are we going to be? You know, are we going to be givers or are we going to be takers? You know, I've noticed over the years, I've seen it myself, I've noticed in community groups, whether it's a church or a club or a society, there are always givers and takers. There are always those who are giving and then there are always those who are in essence defined by taking. And it's the same with businesses. Some businesses are actively involved with building up the community. Some businesses offer services and products that are good value, that make a genuine difference to people's quality of life, to their customers. They give to meet community needs. And then you get other businesses that are characterized by greed and opportunism, I beg your pardon, opportunism. They're always looking for an easy route to money without being genuinely productive. Folks, we need to put something back. In the words of Paul, by working and doing something useful with our hands. I just find that what Paul says here is so inspiring. We shouldn't have a self-centered focus for our work. We should have a giving focus on our work. God hasn't provided us with work for ourselves alone. He wants to bless others through our labor. Isn't that a good thing? God designs things in such a way that I will go through seasons in my life when I have need and somebody else will go through at, at the same time a season of plenty. It, he says in, in one Corinth, uh, 2 Corinthians 9 that some people will harvest a lot while others will harvest a little. And he says there needs to be equality in the sense that those who harvest a lot should share with those who harvest a little. Folks, if you go through life trying to plan for every eventuality so that you will never be in need, you'll never give your money away. We need to recognize that sometimes we will be in need and God will provide for our needs through other people and vice versa. That's what Paul is talking about here. That's what he has in mind. So we need to replace anger with forgiveness and we need to replace stealing with giving. Let's be motivated by a desire to bless others rather than motivated by a desire for greed. The last one, replace destructive, corrosive, corruptive talk with that which builds up. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. You know, something that is corruptive makes the things around it rotten. I don't know if you, I'm sure you've often taken a, a plastic bag out of the fridge with um, maybe apples in it or peaches or something. And the one peach has gone fraught and it's infected the rest of the peaches. We need to make sure that our conversation, what we are saying with our mouths, does not corrode and rot the fabric of our society, the fabric of our relationships. And it, it starts even right in, in a very basic place with not dissing other people. You know, you could be watching rugby and somebody says, hey, John, do you want a, do you want a seat? You don't look very comfortable on the, on the floor there. And someone else says, yeah, with a, with a backside that fat, you should be comfortable on the floor. And everyone has a good laugh. And, you know, it starts with that. Dissing is, <laughs> dissing is not a good thing. Let's say things that don't corrode and corrupt. Let's say things that rather build up. This is what Jesus said. He said that we're going to give an account for every careless, read their thoughtless word on judgment day. 
Why? Because, and this is a quote from a guy called Liefeld, he says, words, even or perhaps especially careless ones, reveal the nature of their source, the human heart. Let's move on to the purpose of the command. He says that the reason why we do this is to give grace to those who listen. I don't know about you, but I want to give grace. I want to be a means of grace, of God's grace to other people. What is God's grace? Well, God's grace is what He supplies. It's His resources to build other people up, to make them strong, to encourage them. And I want my words to be a vehicle for God to build up other people, to encourage other people. Yes, sometimes we can choose sort of slightly indifferent words that don't do anything. But why not choose words that will actually actively provide God's grace to other people? There's a connection here with Ephesians 4, verse 7 and 12. It says there, but each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it, so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so just as we've been granted special gifts of grace for the sake of building up the body, so our words need to provide grace for the same purpose, the purpose of building up the body. When you, when you tear down another Christian with your words, whether it's in front of them or with other people, when you use corrosive talk, unsubstantiated rumors, whatever it is, ultimately you're hurting yourself because it's not providing a vehicle for God's grace to build other people up. The last thing that we notice here is that we should do this as fits the occasion. And of course, that's where we need Jesus as our teacher. Remember the source? We need Jesus as our teacher at the center of our being to help us to know how to do that in a way that fits the occasion, in a way that really makes its mark. So replace anger with forgiveness, stealing with giving, and replace destructive talk with that which builds up. And I would also encourage you in the weeks ahead, always in whatever it is that you're doing, to go back to the heart of it. What is the desire that's motivating me, motivating me here? Is it coming from the flesh? If it is, crucify it. Then plug into the source. Jesus as your, fa uh, as your teacher, God as your father, and then also the one who loves you. And let's start walking with that Batman effect, but I think we should change it. I think we should call it the Jesus effect. What would Jesus do in 2021? And I can guarantee that it's going to make a difference to your year, but most importantly, it's going to make a difference to God's kingdom. It's going to make a difference to God's glory. It's going to make a difference to the people around you. Shall we pray? Father God, we're grateful for your word. We, we're grateful for Jesus who was the Word in the flesh. We're grateful for the Word that we received today through the Apostle Paul, inspired as it was by the Holy Spirit. These words have been grace to us. They have provided for us. They've built us up. And so we want to go out and do what this Word exhorts us to do. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Help us to do what Jesus would do. 
Help us to walk in the Jesus effect in 2021. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, be on the lookout for some short nuggets, words of encouragement coming over the internet for you from the elders. And we'll also be praying for you as you seek to live in a way that honors God in the, the year ahead. Thank you once again for signing in. And goodbye for now.